you've been here for any length of time, you know that one of the analogies we use to describe ourselves is a teaching hospital. Uh, we believe that helping uh, people develop their skills and uh, by practicing is an important way to prepare the next generation for ministry. Um, as such, one of this is a Sunday where one of our uh, pastoral interns, Mitch Cruitt, is going to be coming to uh, preach this morning. He's a TED student. He's married to Rebecca. When I think about Mitch, I think about somebody who thinks deeply, but who cares just as much. Um, I'm really grateful for uh, his keen mind, but I'm even more excited about his pastor's heart. I'm excited to see where the Lord will lead him. So I'm excited to bring him up. Mitch, why don't you come forward and bring us God's word this morning. Thank you. Good morning, EBF. I hope that you have all had a Merry Christmas and are looking forward to the new year. Um, I know for me, with the new year coming, I've already begun to think about what I want to be different next year. Um, along with that, I've begun to think about New Year's resolutions and, and the guilt associated with that. I'm sure all of you know what I'm talking about. Those resolutions you make at the beginning of the year saying, this is how my life will be different. And then a month later, three weeks later, a week, a day, a couple hours, you've already given up and you're trying to pretend that you never made that resolution because you don't want to feel guilty about it. One of my long-standing failures when it comes to New Year's resolution has to do with weight loss. Um, year after year, uh, I would swear that this is the year things would be different. I, I would want to eat right, exercise, and get healthy. But year after year, without fail, I would fail. And I'd try to pretend that had never happened, that I'd never made that decision. Well, about two years ago, I had a different experience. I began to have success. I started eating well. I started exercising. I, I even was able to run a half marathon and lose 50 pounds. But I find myself now a year after I ran a half marathon kind of in the same place. Stopped eating well, stopped exercising, and I, and I kind of wonder, will things ever be different? Can I really see long-lasting change in this part of my life? And I know for some of you, you may experience the same thing. Maybe it's not weight loss, but maybe it's a long-standing addiction to pornography that you wish that could change, but you find yourself time and time again going back. Or maybe it's the realization that you've made yet another promise to your family and failed to be home for dinner or to that soccer game you promised your kids you would be at. Or maybe you're so dissatisfied with your physical appearance you make secret decisions to eat less and less and you wish it could be different but you don't seem to find the power to change. Others of you, it's not a power to change that, that you really long for, but, but you wonder 
how can you can ever find hope in the midst of the hardships you're facing? Maybe you've lost a loved one and these holidays are really hard and you wonder how things will ever be the same again. Or maybe you've lost your job and, and you just want to work again. You want to be able to provide for your family, but you don't see an end in sight. And maybe in light of these holiday seasons, you've gotten together with your family and it didn't go so well. And you've begun to lose hope that your family will ever be reconciled and you'll ever be able to enjoy the blessings of a healthy family. And all these things I, I want to acknowledge are really hard. They're really difficult. And so... When we come to our passage this morning, we're going to see Jesus deal with one of these challenges, the death of his friend Lazarus. And through Jesus' response to Lazarus, we're going to see that we should trust in Jesus for the power to live fully today. So our passage for this morning will be John 11. And we're going to see four reasons why we should trust in Jesus for the power to live fully today. But before we read, would you please pray with me? Jesus, ask that as we read your word and read about your life, that you would teach us, that you would convict us, that you would change us. Lord, I pray that you would give us the faith to trust in you. Please speak to us today through your word. So with faith that you hear us and are going to answer us. We pray in your precious name. Amen. So if you've not yet opened, please open with me to John chapter 11. And we're going to start reading in verse 1 to see the first reason we should trust in Jesus for the power to live fully today. Please read with me. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So this passage opens by letting us know that a man named Lazarus was ill. And that his family, his sisters Mary and Martha, had sent word to let Jesus know that he was ill. This was a family that Jesus would have stayed with whenever he was visiting in Bethany and So they would have known him and known what he was capable of. They would have seen the miracles he had done, the healings he had performed. And Jesus would have known them really well as well. So when Jesus responds to their message by saying that Lazarus' illness is for the glory of God and so that the Son of God may be glorified, it seems a little bit cold-hearted that Jesus would respond by saying, 
you know, this is just for my glory. And, and then it's even more shocking when he says, uh, upon hearing that news, that he's going to stay two days longer in the place where he was. This doesn't really make sense. And to me, it, it seems as though um, if I were a parent, this would be like me taking my sick child who's vomiting, coughing, high, high fever, and has had this for days. And, and we're just trying to see them get well. So we take them to the emergency room. When we get to the emergency room, the staff there just says, oh, no big deal, we'll schedule you for an appointment two days later. That would never happen. And if it did, we would think those people are the most cold-hearted people in the world. Who would do such a thing? But before we assume that this is what Jesus is doing, let's look again at the passage. The sisters call Lazarus, he whom you love. And then John tells us in in verse 5 that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So this shows us that whatever it is Jesus is doing by waiting, he's doing out of love towards them. And this also shows us that when Jesus says this is for God's glory and and so that the Son of God may be um, glorified, this is also what is best for Lazarus and his family. So although we don't understand Jesus' actions, Jesus is not simply being cold-hearted, but he's acting in love towards them. And this will become abundantly clear as the passage continues. Read with me, again, starting in verse 7. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. So after waiting two days, Jesus lets his disciples know that they're going to go to Judea. And this is the place where Bethany was located and where Lazarus and his family lived. But the disciples respond to this news by reminding Jesus, we've just been there and the Jews just tried to kill you. Why are you going back there? And, And this shows us something really important. Jesus is going back to a family at a risk to his own life. He's showing how much he loves them by doing something even that might cost him his life. So Jesus then responds to the disciples by letting them know that those who who walk in the light will not stumble. Jesus responds in this way in order to show the disciples he is not just acting in love towards Lazarus and his family, but he's also walking in obedience to the Father. Safest place for him is doing what Father wants, walking in the light. That's the place where he won't stumble. And so, after showing that Jesus is going to act in love towards Lazarus at a great risk to himself, he could even die, and and showing that he's going to be obedient to the Father no matter what, he explains his purpose to the disciples. So, look with me in verse 11 to see why. Jesus is going. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, 
Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. So here Jesus tells the disciples that he's going back to Judea so that he can raise Lazarus from the dead. And verse 15 begins to reveal the significance of of Jesus waiting two days before going to Lazarus. He's not only acting in love towards Lazarus and his family, but also for the disciples. The best thing that Jesus could do for them and for Lazarus and his family is produce faith in them. He wants them to trust in him as the Son of God. And so Jesus' motive for waiting is in part for the disciples so that they would believe by what he's about to do. Jesus is acting in love towards them as well. So the disciples respond to Jesus' explanation with complete trust in Jesus, willing to go with him even if they would die. So though we don't fully understand all of Jesus' motivations yet, we can see that Jesus acts in love towards Lazarus and his disciples. And even if the disciples don't fully understand what's going on, the disciples respond with trust in Christ. So this teaches us the first reason we should trust in Jesus for the power to live fully today is because Jesus acts in love towards us. The first reason we should trust in Jesus for the power to live fully today because Jesus acts in love towards us. Now, I know many of us, when we face trying circumstances, it becomes very easy to doubt God, to question what he's doing. Some of you may be unemployed, or maybe you have jobs that leave you just barely scrapping by. You're wondering how you're going to pay this month's rent. Life is hard. And so you begin to, to question, what is God doing? What is his motive for treating you this way? And because we know that Jesus acts in love towards us, that gives us an opportunity to respond in a way other than doubt. We can respond by trusting in Jesus and asking him what he's doing for us. What is he trying to produce in us during this time of waiting and hardship. We can ask him to show us what he's trying to do in our lives. So I hope that you would trust in Jesus for the power to live fully even while you wait and wonder how you're going to pay this month's rent. You can do that by considering what Jesus is trying to do for you and in you during this time. But I know at this point, some of you may be asking, so what if Jesus acts in love towards me? So what if he cares about me? Can he really do anything about my circumstances? Does he really have the power to change anything? Well, let's look back in verse 17 to find out. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Beth. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. 
many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So in verse 17, we find out when Jesus finally gets to Bethany, Lazarus has already been four days. And John keeps drawing our attention to the the days that have passed, but we're going to have to wait just a little bit longer to find out why he's doing that. But we also find out that many Jews had gathered to to grieve with Mary and Martha. This was just a typical Jewish practice that when somebody lost a family member, other Jews would come and comfort them by weeping with them. And since Mary and Martha and Lazarus were a wealthier family, many Jews had come. And so this sets the stage for a big event that would now have many witnesses to carry the news of what had happened to Jerusalem. But before we get to that big event, there's a private conversation between Martha and Jesus. And Martha's first words to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. These words may may come across to us as a rebuke of Jesus, saying, Jesus, if you had been here, you could have done something. Why didn't you come sooner? But Jesus doesn't respond to Martha as if this was a rebuke. There's nothing else in the passage to make us think that. This is actually a statement of faith in Jesus, that if he had been there, he really could have healed Lazarus. And Martha demonstrates even greater faith by saying, even in the midst of my grief, I believe that God will still answer your prayers. She's trusting Jesus even in the midst of hardship and grief. This is a very powerful example to us of someone in the midst of grief that could trust Jesus still. But let's look and see what Jesus does with this confession of faith. So look with me in verse 23. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. Jesus responds to Martha with what we know is a declaration that he is about to raise Lazarus from the dead. But he's very ambiguous to Martha. She doesn't get that that's what he's about to do. He's doing this so he can invite Martha to greater faith in him. It's commonly held belief among the Jews of that day that on the last day there would be a resurrection of the dead. And so when Jesus says, your brother will rise again, Martha just takes this as a little bit of encouragement that though you're grieving now, in, in time, you'll be reunited with your brother again. This is kind of like the encouragement we give people sometimes when 
they're grieving the loss of something. And, and we tell them, you know, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to their purpose. We try to encourage them that in the midst of their suffering, there's hope. But Jesus is doing something much more than just encouraging Martha. He's trying to engage her belief in the resurrection on the last day. The way we know this, he responds to Martha's statement with a personal statement. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. This is huge. In that simple statement, Jesus is identifying himself with Martha's abstract belief in a resurrection on the last day. He's saying that the resurrection you believe in is wrapped up in who I am. It doesn't happen apart from me. I have the power to give life. Those who trust in him will be united with him on the last day when they're raised from the dead. This is good news for people who trust in Jesus. But it's not just something for the last day. It's something for now as well. He says he is the life. Those who trust in Jesus receive a life that will never end, a spiritual life that God brings about in people who trust in him. This spiritual life changes who you are from the inside out. And so Jesus responds with this personal statement and then invites Martha to respond and asks her, do you believe this? As I've already said, Jesus hasn't let her know that he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. So he's not asking her, do you believe that I'm about to raise your brother from the dead? But what he is asking her to do is to move from an abstract belief in the resurrection on the last day to a personal trust in Jesus. And she responds not only by affirming that she trusts in Jesus, but by realizing that the only person who could be the resurrection and the life is the Messiah, the Son of God, the deliverer who she's been waiting for her entire life. She understands that Jesus has the power of the resurrection and the life, so she trusts in him. This shows us the second reason we should trust in Jesus for the power to live fully today. It's because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He has the power to give abundant life and to bring about the transformation of the resurrection. We should trust in Jesus for the power to live fully today because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Martha moved from an abstract belief in the resurrection to a personal trust in Jesus. Will you? I know many of you believe in a good, faithful, powerful, just God. But will you move from an abstract belief in that God to a personal trust in Jesus as the one who is the resurrection and the life. He has the power to transform you. He has set you free from the power of sin and death. You no longer have to cope with life by looking at pornography or by turning to alcohol. God has set you free. You don't have to sacrifice your family on the altar of your career. Jesus has set you free. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. 
And he gives power to the transformed life for those who trust in him. So trust in Jesus for the power to live fully today. But some of you may hear this and and ask again, so what if Jesus loves me? And, And so what if Jesus has the power to change my circumstances? Is he even bothered by what I experience, by the hardships I face? Or is he just planning to use them in some way for his glory? Those are great questions to ask. So let's look again in verse 28 to find out. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. When she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. So now that Martha has had this chance to talk privately with Jesus, she tries to provide her sister with the same opportunity, but it doesn't work. Mary gets up to go to Jesus, and, and all the Jews who were grieving with her thought she was just moving the location of her grieving. They thought she was moving from the house to the grave site. And so they want to go along with her to keep comforting her. So when Jesus, or sorry, when Mary gets to Jesus, there's a great crowd that surrounded him. And so the stage is now completely set for that big event we saw earlier. We have to wait just a little bit longer to see what Jesus does. And first look at their actual conversation. So let's read what they say in verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? He said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? Some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Mary, like her sister Martha, immediately confesses that she still trusts in Jesus. But unlike her sister, she's immediately overwhelmed with the grief of losing her brother. Her grief turns to open sorrow before Jesus. Can you imagine that scene? Mary rushes to Jesus and falls at his feet, just tries to get out the words, Jesus, I still trust in you. I still believe in you. You could have done something. And as soon as those words come out, she begins weeping, overcome by the sadness and the sorrow of losing her brother. And Jesus looks along and sees Mary weeping, and sees all of the Jews weeping. He's deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And while it's certain that Jesus was sympathetic to what had just happened, the language here does not mean that Jesus was deeply moved to sympathy. 
means he was deeply moved to anger. Jesus sees the pain and the sorrow that his friends, these people are facing. And he is angry because they have to experience the pain of death. And then Jesus asks to be taken to the tomb. When he gets there, he weeps. Jesus is moved to tears because he is so angry seeing the consequences of sin and death right before him. See, throughout the Gospels, Jesus is angered most when he sees the consequences of sin and death. He's angry when he confronts the Pharisees with their sin. He's angry when he goes to the temple and flips over all those tables and makes a whip because he's so angry that they're using the temple as a den of thieves rather than as a house of prayer. In this moment before Lazarus' tomb, it's the culmination of everything that Jesus hates. The consequences of sin are death. And now that Jesus stands before Lazarus' tomb, he sees the weeping of Lazarus' relatives and friends. And he sees the tomb of his friend who is now dead. And Jesus is angry. He hates the consequences of sin and death in the lives of his friends. So this shows us the third reason we should trust in Jesus for the power to live fully today. It's because Jesus hates the sin and death in our lives. Jesus hates the sin and death in our lives. I personally have not experienced the loss of a loved one Thinking about that, I can't imagine what that would feel like. But I know some of you have lost parents, lost spouses, grandparents, siblings, friends. And especially during the holiday season when all of the memories that you shared with them come back, it's hard. And the pain comes back and you're sad and you're grieving. And I, I want you to know that the pain you're experiencing is not something you just have to move on from. Death shows all that is not right in this world. And the pain that you're experiencing isn't supposed to be. And Jesus hates that you're experiencing So I I hope that as you grieve, as you experience pain, sorrow, you might be a little comforted knowing that Jesus understands the pain that you feel and he hates that you're experiencing it. But you may ask, if Jesus hates this so much, then why doesn't he do anything about it? Why doesn't he fix things if Jesus hates sin and death so much? It's a valid question. It's a good question. It's one the Jews in this passage are confused by as well. Some of the Jews see Jesus weeping and and conclude Jesus must have loved Lazarus so much. But then others ask, 
Well, if Jesus could heal him, why didn't he? Let's look in verse 38 to find out why. So then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. This is the big event that we've been waiting for. Jesus begins the preparation for the miracle that he is about to do by asking for the stone to be rolled away. But then Martha responds by objecting to that. And she says that Lazarus has been dead and now there's an odor. And this shows us the significance of Lazarus being dead for four days and the significance of Jesus waiting two days before coming to Bethany. After four days, there is an odor that comes from the body decomposing. And at that time, people believed that during the three days immediately following someone's death, the, the soul would hover over the body and could re-enter it. But on the fourth day, when the body began to decompose, that soul would go away. It couldn't re-enter. It was too late. And, and so if someone came back to life during those three days, it would have been a big deal, but it, it was kind of common. There were stories of people coming back to life during that three-day period. It, it would have been similar to how we respond when, when we hear about someone who's had a heart attack and dies. And the EMTs come and put the defibrillator on the chest and shock the heart back into working. We think this is impressive. This is incredible. Somebody has come back to life. But we don't think of this as as significant as resurrection. We even have a different word for it. We call it resuscitation instead of resurrection. So this is how the Jews would have thought of a resurrection before the fourth day. And so now we can completely understand why Jesus waited before coming to Bethany. It was a four-day journey from where Jesus was to where Bethany was. And we found out that after two days had passed, Lazarus has died. So from the time Jesus heard to the time he could have gotten to Bethany, if he left immediately, he would have only been halfway there before Lazarus died. And then he would have arrived in Bethany after Lazarus had only been two days. So Jesus doesn't miss the opportunity to heal Lazarus by waiting, but he provides himself with the opportunity to do something truly spectacular. To do not just resuscitation, but resurrection. Jesus would not only have to give Lazarus back his life, but he would have to reverse the toll that death had taken on Lazarus' body. A miracle like that would truly reveal Jesus' glory. So now that we better understand Jesus' motives, let's look back at verse 40. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, 
but I said this on account of the people standing around me, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So Jesus responds to Martha's objection by reminding her to trust in him And the anticipation of what Jesus is about to do grows and grows as the stone rolls away and Jesus begins to pray to his Father. But it's this prayer that reminds us of what Jesus has been trying to do all along. Jesus didn't have to pray and ask God to help. He didn't have to thank God out loud in order to do what he was about to do. But he does this so that the people may believe that people would trust in him as the one God had sent. And then Jesus does what we've been waiting for all this time. He calls to Lazarus with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And Lazarus, the formerly dead man, walks out, still wrapped in his grave clothes, just as he had been laid. Jesus gave him life, and to symbolize that life, he says, for the grave clothes to be removed, to be taken off of him. Death no longer binds Lazarus. He is free. He's alive. Just as Jesus' shout raised Lazarus from the dead, those who trust in Jesus will hear Jesus' shout on the last day, and they will be raised to life with him. But those who trust in Jesus don't just have to wait until the last day. With Lazarus, they can begin to feel the effects of the reversal of sin and death by trusting in Jesus. So this is the fourth reason we should trust in Jesus for the power to live fully today. Because Jesus reverses the effects of sin and death. Jesus reverses the effects of sin and death. Although those of us who trust in Jesus still have to wait until the last day to experience the full eradication of death, we can experience the beginning of that reversal today. But we have to respond. And verses 45 and 46 show us what our options are. Let's look at our options. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So some of the Jews, after seeing all that Jesus had done, trust in him. But others reject Jesus. And we know that they've rejected Jesus because they go and tell the Pharisees what Jesus has done so that the Pharisees will have a motivation for killing Jesus. Those two options remain the same today. After seeing that Jesus acts with love towards us, after seeing that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, after seeing that Jesus hates sin and death, and after seeing that Jesus reverses the effects of sin and death, we must either trust in Jesus or reject Jesus. And I know some of you here today 
have never trusted in Jesus. And I encourage you to talk with the person who brought you, talk with me about how you can take a step forward and trust in Jesus for the power to live fully today. But you have to know this is a decision you can't remain neutral in. Not deciding is the same as rejecting Jesus. And so I hope that you have seen enough reasons to trust in Jesus today. But others of you may think you're Christians, but you've never actually trusted in Jesus. And you'll know this is you because you're not experiencing the full life that Jesus has given you. You're not experiencing freedom from sin. You're not repenting. Your life is still dead and empty. And for you as well, trust in Jesus for the power to live fully today. And finally, to you Christians, when we trusted in Jesus for the first time, we trusted in him for forgiveness and and for the hope of what he will one day do, but so often we forget to trust in Jesus for the power to live free and full lives today. He has set us free. We are free from sin and death. We can experience a full life today. You have the power to say no to sin and to live for Jesus. So trust in Jesus for the power to live fully today. So this New Year's, whatever resolution you make, whether it's to change bad habits or to repent of sin, to get healthy, to do something you've always wanted to do, know that the power to experience the change you want comes through trusting in Jesus. And today, all of us face a decision of whether we will trust in Jesus or reject in him. We've seen four reasons why we should trust in Jesus for the power to live fully today. But the question remains, will you? Please pray with me. Father, I thank you for your word. And I ask that as we respond to your word with worship, that you would give each of us the faith to trust in you and to trust in your son, Jesus. We thank you for offering us life and ask that you would help us to live in it each day. And so in the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.